This Three Beards Media Podcast may contain mature themes. And if you're not down with that, we got three words for you. Like the podcast. Nailed it! Would you like to sample some of my nuts? Hello, and welcome back yet again to another edition of Old Man Strength, a podcast of Three Beards Media and brought to you by Revelton Distilling Company. I am Tim Johnson, joined as always by Chris Shipley. Chris, how are we doing this evening? I'm doing very well. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm good. I had a very long day at work. Uh, it's been very uh, uh, hectic in my schedule lately, but uh, I'm really excited to carve out some time for tonight. Me too. Yeah, this is... Uh... This is uh one of my bucket list uh guests that we have tonight. Uh I he was uh he was the coach at Iowa State. We're we're just gonna get right into it because nobody's tuning in to, to listen to us. So Absolutely. Uh, he was the coach at Iowa State when I was a freshman and, and, and went up there. Uh we've had a couple of his former players on. Just recently we had Blaze Bryant on. Uh but uh we are so honored to have uh coach Jim Walden on the podcast. Coach, thank you for joining Old Man Strength tonight. Well it's my pleasure. Just glad to be here chatting with you guys and hope it all comes out all right. It certainly does. I mean, you've got more hair than Blaze does now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I still keep a little I probably I probably could use a haircut, which I'll probably get tomorrow, but uh, I still got a little bit up there anyway. And we only bring that up because Blaze was pretty proud of his high school uh, of his high school and college hairdo. So uh, that's the only reason we bring that up. So no, uh, Coach, uh, we're very excited to have you here. You know, Chris and I have, have had um, debates with, with some of the younger generation who think that, that you know, Iowa State sports began with Fred Hoiberg and Matt Campbell and, and not, not to, to, to denigrate what those guys have done, obviously, for Iowa State sports, and we'll get into that in, in a bit. But, uh, you know, for guys like 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 Chris and I, um, we really think about the foundation that someone, uh, you know, like you and yourself with, with, you know, Johnny or at the same time as well, what you guys really did to lay a foundation for, I think what Iowa state sports are today. Well, I remember I'm old enough to know that Iowa state had quality programs under Earl Bruce and Johnny majors. And mm -hmm. a lot of people, other unless you're probably, 70 years or more, you don't know that. Um, Johnny Orr, for instance, was a quality basketball coach, started way back when. But when you look at football, you can you go all the way back to the 70s, the early 70s. Johnny uh, Majors beat us at when I was at Nebraska in 1972 we tied the game, but he won the game. I mean, the only reason we didn't win, I say we, I'm talking Iowa State, because uh, they missed an extra point with like no time left on the clock, and we ended up in a, 
I don't know what it was, 20 to 20 maybe. But all I know is that John Majors that year um, had a tremendous season. Then Earl came along later and, and did the same thing. Yeah, there's been some gaps uh, in between. And I didn't feel one. We just didn't have what it took. And I'm not ashamed of that. We busted our butt. But Dan McCarney, for instance, did a wonderful job. Um, so in and out, Iowa State Athletics has been in pretty good hands. Tim Floyd, John Majors. I, I, I mean, I mean, come on now. It's just they've been some really quality coaches go through that program. Yeah, we yeah, we had uh, we we had the privilege of of having uh, Coach McCarney on on uh, Old Man Strength as well, and I think uh, he gave a lot of credit to to yourself as well for I think um what it means to to uh try to establish a program at iowa state well i think it's uh, let's give jamie pollard some uh, some pats here and some love uh the first thing you've got to do in any situation in today's world is keep up with the joneses it took Iowa State a long time, football-wise, to understand that. They thought when they built a new stadium way back in the early 70s and then threw up an Olsen building, that that was ahead of the curve. Well, I happened to have been at Nebraska during the 69, 71, and 2, and our worst facilities were better than the Olsen <laughs> <laughs> at that time. Uh, and they've gotten bigger, too. But Jamie has brought – Iowa State facilities. Um, and I try to say this in the nicest way. Athletic directors and, and people sponsors are like a stagecoach. I used to say all the time, you can't, a stagecoach doesn't run unless you've got good horses. So that's the people that pay the bills. That The horses are the, that's the fans. But if you don't have somebody driving that stage, horses don't run. Mm -hmm. And so if you just look at it on a practical extent, they pull the wagon, but you need an AD to tell them what they're doing, how to do it, what's the best way to do it. And I give Jamie 100% of the credit. Max Urich had a willing heart. He just didn't have the budget. And then there's been some different ones there. But Jamie has done a marvelous job of keeping and getting Iowa State Athletics on a page where it's second to none. They're not getting killed out in the recruiting trail because of lack of facilities. No, for sure. Uh, when we um, when we interviewed a few of your your previous uh, players, and when we, we talked about the foundation that you gave, um, George Condit, for example, talked quite a bit about how he'd go to war with you and your guys any day of the week. Uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't have traded those guys for anybody. Well, you know, strange as it may seem, I wrote down some guys here: Mike Bush, uh, Brett Oberg, Keith. Um, Sims, um, Joe Henderson, Blaze Bryant, Marcus Robinson, Gene Williams, Marvin Seiler, Chris Peterson, Malcolm Goodwin. These are all guys that that gave their heart and soul during a time when I think they knew it and we all knew it, that our chances of being very successful the way you want to be successful was slim and none. Sure. We didn't have the numbers. We hadn't I think the most football players I ever had on scholarship at, at, at Iowa State was 74 guys, and that was my last year there. And you say, well, why is that? Well, you, you're both smart enough to know that if you start with 57, you can only bring in 30. 
then you have seven quit and you graduate 15. So in essence, you start with 57, you're only going to do plus five every year, plus eight. And so you just can't get, get it built. Now they did pass a rule that really helped us. And I'll get into that in a minute that we could, you could bring a walk on who had been in your program for two years. You could add him to the total and it didn't take away from the initial. And so that really helped. So we could get our numbers up and try to keep some of these guys that were walk-ons, even though they were not, they were like not one stars. They were just guys that wanted to be out there. We called them our 12th man, but they, literally they were our 12th man with the exception of Shudak, who was our kicker. We would run 10 guys down on a kickoff team and not a one of them on Scottsdale. <laughs> we said, we got a 12th man, but Texas A&M has one. We had, <laughs> in theory, we could say we had 12. Yeah. But, but in a sense, um, it's been built from that. Uh, Dan, I thought came in and really stabilized things enormously uh, in his, I think what he was there 12 or 13 years. I think he just, he just brought it to a point where, and Jamie did some things for him to get it to a certain point. And then it's just with Matt now, it's just to me, I just think it's a very solid. Yeah. I mean, you, so you, you mentioned uh, Earl Bruce and Johnny majors before there, but uh, mm-hmm. there, there, there are a couple of coaches uh, in between those guys and you uh, that probably didn't do uh, the program any favors. No. Uh, um, I, I think, I think that, that was probably, uh, to put it kindly, something that probably, uh, had you kind of strung up a little bit, not able to, you, you had a, a, a few things to overcome. Is that, is that the most diplomatic way I can put that? Well, yeah. And you say, well, how did it get into that mess? Well, I won't go in. I'll just say Jim, that's enough as I say, what <laughs> happened with him is that he got put on probation. Mm-hmm. I did was bending the rules just a little bit. So he got, he got, he passed that on to me as last year. So we could only recruit 10 guys. That was the first punishment. And then unbeknownst to us in the program, after we got there, Jim had had an enormous senior class and a good bunch of guys. They were a great group. I'd love to have had them one more. I, man, I really, when I saw how good some of those guys were uh, the year before I came that the 80, when did I come? 80, the 86 season, they had a marvelous group of seniors. And mm-hmm. uh, I always coveted the fact that I wish I could have held on those guys. wish we'd had a COVID year back then. Right. <laughs> I could have brought them all forward. Uh, but he had 26 seniors. Uh, we lost nine guys between him and me in terms of just a transition. So now you've lost 35 guys from one calendar year, and I could only recruit 10. So that's how it got into that mess. So speaking of that, and and we won't get into specifics with, with Jim, but uh, another Jim is in the news right now with Jim Harbaugh and, and, and the rules that he has allegedly broke and so on. And I, it, it dives into a question that I have for you. You, unfortunately, were hamstrung with Jim's violations and that, that affected your team and so on. There's rumors here that, that Harbaugh may they, – they may – not allow their team to play in the in the playoff or, or whatever. And I, I guess I just want to get your thoughts on he's made these decisions, but the kids are the ones that are going to suffer. Well, that's, that's always been the biggest bone of contention to me is that 
how to punish the guy that did it and not the, not the players who play for it. Mm-hmm. And up until now, the NC2A was never able to figure that out. They always wanted to punish. And then they, worse yet, they used to, they would find out two years later that they had done this and then they punishing guys that didn't even know the coach or, and so notoriously the NC2A has been inept most of their time there and that never changes. Uh, knowing how they do things. If Jim Harbaugh has proven that he did in fact do that, they should set him down for the rest of the year, find him a million bucks and let whoever's left and let the players play on because not a single one of those players held a camera in the stands. They didn't do anything that has anything to do with whatever they find out he was doing illegally. So punish the guys that did but let those guys play. And if you, if there's some assistant coaches, which I know darn well that none of them had anything to do with it, did, did they maybe know about it? Uh, yeah. Did they utilize it? Maybe, yeah. But you can't, you can't take everything away. They're all at the, and if they hadn't have done it, would the assistant coaches gone right on doing what they do? Yes. So as an assistant coach, you do what you are told to do. So I, Chris, Chris kind of mentioned there that, you know, George Condit, Blaze Bryant, they've, they've mentioned uh, 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 how much of a, kind of a player's coach that you were, uh, uh, how much you, you cared about your players. And I, I think that that certainly showed. I mean, you obviously, Blaze, Mike Bush were all Americans. Certainly uh, you were able to, to uh, get some amazing talent through there. Again, maybe didn't translate into that success. Um, but what what do you think? Uh, was kind of your philosophy uh, with those guys when you when you were coaching? Well, be honest. Uh, you know, you can be as honest in the world. You just don't ever ever give a thought to to treating anyone different than the rest. And they, and yet at the same breath, they're all different. So you do have to treat them all differently. But when it came to team concepts, we we're all in this thing together. So let's all be treated together the same way. And so that's kind of high. It was not, everybody says, what was your discipline? I said, I didn't have any. What I, I, my dress code was if I didn't like the way somebody was dressing at a certain time. And if his hair looked like crap, I'd call him in and I'd say, you don't have to cut it, but I just want you to know, you look like, you know, and, and on trips, uh, you had two choices. You could wear a turtleneck or a tie was just simple as that. And um, so I had very, very few rules. And then I just tried to deal with things as they came per individual person. And I think that worked. Um, then my biggest fear all the time, my years, my 31 years as coaching was that any of my players that I was coaching, even that as assistant would think that I'm favoring one over the other by the way that I've let someone off and are not done the same thing to you that I did to him, blah, blah, blah. And so I just love my guys. I just liked them. I appreciated the pain that they went through. Uh, I know they had to put up with me screaming at them sometimes, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I also tried to, to, to tell a joke and have a night, you know, and be, be good. See another side of me also that it wasn't all just pain. And, uh, I, I loved them and I told them constantly how much I appreciated the effort they gave. Uh, we had some tough losses. Uh, one was at the University of Minnesota. 
we, we had the ball first and goal at the one with a chance to win the ball game. And four plays later, we haven't scored. That broke my heart because we lost the game. Uh, the second mm-hmm. one was we we drove the length of the field. Barry Alvarez's first year at Wisconsin, we drove the length of the field, got it down to the 12-yard line, and Shudak missed a by the snapshot field goal, which we'd have won the game. We ended up losing seven to six. Uh, but when you get in the dressing room after games like that, you try to tell the kids how proud you are of them. And that's what I tried to do. And, and I was, I was prouder of my guys for the effort they came, they gave during those years, guys, than I was ever mad at them. I just, I just felt we got way, we got those kids that stayed with us for four, well, those eight years, it was fun to coach him. Well, I will say uh, the gentleman that helped me set this up, Keith Schrag, uh talks about you and, and gives you your praises all the time to me. Uh, <laughs> I met him on Twitter, and we've kind of become friends. And and then uh, we just had Keith Sims on another podcast uh, on Monday, and he talked about how when you took over, uh, th- that's what got him into the NFL was your your offensive philosophy, and it really blossomed him to be able to come uh, the player that he was and was able to go into the NFL. So, uh, you, well, you I appreciate that. He and, well, he and big Smith, we, we had one side of the line covered. I can tell you that. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but right? The one thing I knew I had when I got there was Gene Williams and, and Sims. And I tried my best and so did our line coach. Uh, we don't want to screw up with that pair. Let's leave that pair <laughs> long and we'll just move over here and try to do the best we can. Uh, but they were two solid guys. And I, I tell you a funny story. I heard this later after we'd been coaching. The two of them were so confident in what they, how they blocked. And my quarterbacks, I think Peterson told me this, is coach, you'd come to the line of scrimmage and you'd hear Sim say to Williams, you're going to block him or you want me to? <laughs> and, so, and, and Williams would go, no, I think I'm, I think you're supposed to block him on this play. And and this Peterson say you'd kind of hesitate before you started the starting count because you'd hear them chatting. And he said it was a, it, it was sometimes it'd be a pass pattern. They're both going to drop drop back in their shells. Uh, <laughs> but it was a hoot listening to him try to talk some D lineman. It's like, well, you want him or you want me to take him? And they, <laughs> so, uh, that's how confident they were. They were a pair of really good football players. Yeah, I mean, you you definitely had, uh, you know, m- maybe not all the pieces all at the exact same time, but over your your career at Iowa State, you did have uh, quite a bit of talent that came uh, uh, and, and played for you. Um, uh, what was it? I mean, obviously, it's a very different game between. Uh, you know, the transfer market and recruiting is very different. Um, I, what are your observations between then and now on, on bringing talent into to a school like Iowa State? Well, number one, uh, they have more to sell. Um, they have a quality program now. They're coming every year now. Matt Campbell goes out and says, we're winning games. Now, I know we had losing season last year, but look at the whole picture. Yep. Okay. And look at where they are today and his reputation of finding and coaching quality kids. All right. So that's your background when you go out. Secondly, there's a ton more football players out there than there used to be. Um, and with television and with uh, A&I, everything they've got going anymore, you get to look at so many more guys. 
mm-hmm. and the staffs are bigger. So you got more guys looking at more guys all the time. You got four coaches in the building constantly looking at recruits. And then they bring the coaches in and say, here, D-line coach, you look at these two guys. We found him today. He's over in Toledo or he's down here in Miami. And so your choices are so much greater. And so I, I think that's what's helping Iowa State and a lot of schools. Yeah, you and I know both know Ohio State's going to come to town and get what they get, and mm-hmm. you know, da da da. But the key to the keys to success is when you get to that third level. In other words, Ohio State's come, Oklahoma's come. Now uh, maybe Iowa is in there somewhere at that second level that you're going to compete with them. Uh, but you want to work really hard at Iowa State, and I know Matt does beating the, the second level and the third level guys. You want to be in that pocket of the best three-star you can find, the motivated three-star, the four-star guy that likes you, that wants to come to your place, and he's truly already a good prospect. Those are the guys that Iowa State can get, and that's what's helping their program. Coach, I, I was doing some some looking. I, my memory's not as great uh, from a long time ago, but so I was doing some looking up uh, specifically about the Oklahoma game in 90 when you went down there and won that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and f- I have a couple questions. Number one, I believe Jeff Shudak was suspended for that game. Is that correct? And and that's maybe the reason why you went for two so much. And then the other question I have is, is I'm reading an article that says that you were really sick at that yeah, weekend well, too. <laughs> Well, he was suspended. Jeff was suspended for the week before when the year before. You're right what you're saying. Okay. Jeff kept kicking kickoffs into the – we had a running back coach, and he warmed up his guys over in the corner of the end zone. And Jeff kept practicing kickoffs after the kicking – the special teams were supposed to be over. And the special teams coaches had his guys down there, and he was – Jeff was kicking balls into him and just – it was furious. So after the, he went through all that, so I punished Jeff by saying, you can't kick. Now, I, I'm going to tell you something about that I would never have told anybody, but I'm getting too old to worry about it. But <laughs> That's what we want to hear, Coach. The game I told him he couldn't kick was the very next game. I said, I'm going to suspend you one game. Then I realized the next week it was Oklahoma. So I said, well, hell, we're not going to beat them anyway. So that's a good – we probably – you know, the natural thought is we're not going to do that much. Well, if you want to know the truth, we probably need – if we'd had Jeff Shudak, we probably would have won because we had an onside kick. We tried to – I think the, the kicker that took his place, Shank, won. We ended up about the 40-yard line. Um I, there were several things that happened in the kicking game that had something to do with the fact that Jeff wasn't there. And I always thought, why did I take, I'll never do that again. I'll tell the coach, move your drill next time. Instead of <laughs> my then the other, the year later at Oklahoma, and then we got beat 43 to 42, I think uh, uh, that day. So any you know little what, break think, in the kicking correct. game, we could have been all right, but I nonetheless that, it happened. I think but, that, I think that is the game I remember because I think I remember thinking, man, if we would have had Jeff Shudak, maybe we would have won that game. <laughs> yeah, you say so that, maybe that now, is... you probably sent me a bad note. Oh, no, <laughs> no. No, I, Chris and I have a friend, uh, Bill, that that uh, kicked at Drake around that same time who who was a big Jeff Shudak fan, but I'm, I'm sure he'd very much appreciate hearing uh, how important <laughs> it was for a kicker to be 
uh, in the game and how meaningful it was for them to be in the game. Well, I guarantee you one thing, we'd had it do over again. I'd have told the running back coach, hey, we'll, I'll punish him as soon as the season's over. He'll have to run laps or something. <laughs> but, but the next year when we did beat Oklahoma down there, uh, yeah, I got on the I got on the bus as sick as I've ever been that Friday afternoon. I, I almost canceled, and I didn't know how. I think if I, if I could have – Figured out a way, I would have said, I'll fly down tomorrow or something. But I said, I, so anyway, my wife drove me to the bus. She parked the car. We got on the bus and I didn't say a word to anybody. I got in that front seat and I just sit there, put a rag over my head. And uh, ever all the kids knew something was wrong. And then, like I say, I speeded up. I got to the ball game and I got to the motel, spent the night, never came out of the room, got up about 536 the next morning. And uh, walked around, felt a little better, got some fresh air, and then went to the ball game. And uh, the rest was history. We just uh, they we fell behind fourteen to nothing, and then the kids caught fire. Chris Peterson had a marvelous day. I think he probably rushed for over a hundred yards on the quarterback draw. It became our only play. Play, <laughs> and uh, uh, Marvin Siler had his. Uh, he threw a fake punt a pass. I think that's probably the only pass we ever let him throw. But, uh, <laughs> he was our up back on the punt team. And he, uh, they gave us uh, an uncovered look that we always said, if that, if they give us this Marvin, check it. Well, he did. And he hit uh, more uh, uh, for, for about a 25 yard gain. And then we went in long story short, uh, we won the game and it was a tremendous effort for our guys. So I, I mean, you you mentioned uh, you know quarterback draw getting a lot of rushing yards of the quarterback. Uh, uh, the game has changed quite a bit. Where where you you are looking more at mobile quarterbacks. Uh, certainly, the days of a ground and pound and eye formation, those types of things are long gone. What do you think is the biggest change in in uh, the style of play or the pace of the game or, or or things like that since your time coaching? Well, it's evolved into it's gone from uh, we moved into the passing thing, and if you'll go through that segment of about ten years, we didn't want everybody's throwing the ball. You know, we're all out of the eye, we're out of the wishbone, we're throw, we're going we're going receivers, and now we want drop back passers, mm-hmm. and most of those guys couldn't walk and chew double bubble. They just were great throwers. <laughs> and so you had you had a passer. So you look back, go back to, let's say, the 90s. Mm-hmm. For instance, the NFL was full of quarterbacks that, that couldn't run a lick. You know, sure. I mean, they, they either passed or they were Tom Brady's. Yep. Tom Brady is way ahead of his time. He was a guy that lived. He couldn't run a lick, but he, but he proved you could do what he did. The NFL and then, so all that was coming through the college ranks. Well, as that evolved, now all of a sudden we're into a phase now where, oh, well, we're still running the open offense, but guess who's running the ball more now? And so we've gone, what's the new thing? The new thing is running quarterback, quarterback draws, quarterback read, the read play, come down, fake, pull it. Well, that's nothing but some of the old wishbone theories. You know, I mean, that's our option play. We used to run that when I was at Washington State. It was was what we called – dive option out of the wing T and out of the split backs. So running quarterbacks are making a recovery to help offset the fact that every team you see now, and I don't think this is good for college football. I don't think it's good for football in general. 
And I want to say this right now. I, I want to say this. That I'm saying. I don't like seeing every blooming team I watch run exactly the same offense. Three <laughs> wides and one. Two wides and one. Motion, motion. Three and one. One and over. And I'm like, wow. And then I go see my grandson. Now, I'm going to brag a little bit here. There's a school in Seattle named Bellevue. And you know what they run, guys? The wing teeth. <laughs> my grandson is in his third year starting there. I think they've lost maybe four games in three years because nobody on defense sees the offense all year. Now they show up and they got three days to get ready for a fullback diving right, <laughs> outback diving left, and the wingback coming around, and you don't know which one of them got the ball. And before you figure it out, the fullback's 36 yards downfield between the hash marks. I mean, running through the goalpost. So my point being, I'm just sick of standard stuff. I want to know where's the 70s and 80s and early 90s when you, as a defensive coach, when you got the, the film on Sunday and you're about to get ready to play Nebraska, you're going, oh, my God, that's the best eye formation. I've Look at that. Boy, <laughs> like, he will knock you into the next county. Then all of a sudden you're going to Oklahoma. Oh, God, they're running the wishbone. So – you had wishbone, you had eye formation, you had the Houston beer, and you had the wing T. They've all gone dead because now all we do is getting – so we've gone through our pass phase with the quarterback standing there like a statue, throwing 45 passes a game. We have got have no use for running backs, but yet everybody that's got a good one wins. And yeah. so we're stuck in that. So – I don't want to badmouth it that much, but I, I it's boring to me if you all know the truth. After what I've been through my 31 <laughs> years of coaching, I, I just think it's boring. Well, I – Go ahead, Chris. Tim. I just I, – I got a show. This popped up uh, on a memory yesterday, so I grabbed it because this totally shows what you're talking about, Coach. I'm sure you remember this play. Let's see if you remember this play. They'll line up in the wishbone formation this time. Spencer split to the left side. Here's Utter. And it is a Bumowski play with Thompson. Touchdown. It's the Fumble Rooski play with Thompson. I was like, I saw that yesterday, and I'm well, like, I got That's what you do, guys, when you're – yeah, when well, you don't have a good running back, you use your guards to carry the ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the old Bubba Ruski, we put it in, and Jimmy read it perfectly, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But uh, yeah, those Keith are the days when you try to do those. something that makes everybody have a laugh or a little bit. Yeah, that's well, right. well, you, you you mentioned a you mentioned a position that's basically all but dead in a fullback. I I mean that that's not even. It's not even a thing anymore in, in in any of these systems. But you did also. I mean, you had your fair share of pretty good running backs as well through the years. Well, we did. You know, um, Blaze was a good running back. Joe Henderson was a good running back, <clears throat> and we had to always find us a fullback in some ways to 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 balance that. But you've got to use them some. The best example I could give as far as. The, the best eye formations you saw in those days were Nebraska. We all know how good they were. Yep. And they had so many great fullbacks and running backs and featuring play action passes, two tight ends or wing. Then they'd go to a slot 
And it, boy, they were as boring as it looked from the stands. As a defensive coach, it was unbelievably complex to stop because you had to, you had to keep your guys on the line of scrimmage. And when that, when that, they snapped that ball and that quarterback rolled back and handed that ball to that eye back, you better have some people in position because that fullback was going to knock your brains out and you're, they're going to double down on your five technique kick the end out with a pulling guard and that fullback's going to sail through there. And I go, man, that's when tough, it was tough. I promise you one thing, you didn't see guys playing in Bermuda shorts when you played in the <laughs> those games, like you do today. You see all of them with their legs over their knees. All the, I call it the Bermuda short look. They, they weren't wearing Bermuda shorts. No <laughs> so I, uh, you know, I mean, you, you you coached against uh, a, a number of, of big eight legends in, in players, but also uh, coaches who, who are some of your favorite coaches to coach against? Well, Tom wasn't one of them. I tell you that because I, I love Tom Osborne, but I just didn't want to have to play that team. <laughs> I, I, I didn't care, you know, when it was competition. So I would rather say I had some good friends in coaching uh, rather than p- competing against them, John Majors was one of my very favorite uh, people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I Glenn was just you just had so many good guys. Jones down at Oakey State was a really good friend. Mason was a good friend. Bill McCartney I really liked, and so I really got along and loved the guys in the league when I was there. Same thing out here when I was at Washington State. You just get to know the guys. You know what you're doing. You know you're competing, and and yet you have great respect for them. And you lo- you know you don't let the world know that you're supposed to not like Hayden Fry. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you're not supposed to let anybody know you love Tom, uh, uh, Don James. So you go play golf with them, or you go have a drink, or go to dinner with them and your wives. But you don't let your fans know it because they wouldn't like that. You know? <laughs> but that happened to be two of my fair fun guys too. I I love Tom, uh, I, I, Tom Osborne in a sense. But I always said I just didn't want to play his team. <laughs> Speaking of coaches, what was your? I, I mean, I'm, I I guess the best way to answer it is is what what are your memories of of coaching against Hayden? And outside of football, how did you feel about Hayden Fry? I'd say it again, uh, Keith. That's I didn't okay. hear I, Chris. I didn't that's hear. That's okay. Hayden Fry. Just give me your thoughts about about Coach Fry at Iowa. Well, in first place, he did a tremendous job there. Um, he brought a unique style to Iowa. It was a proven style. Um, I can remember teasing him about his stand-up tight ends, which seemed to bother everybody sure. but 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 him. Uh, and, of course, we would argue about how does a stand-up tight end block a five-technique tackle when he – it's like, uh, do you dive at him? You know, because we always say you got to put your hand on, on the ground like a three-point stance to hit helmet to helmet. Right. But So we would argue about that, but he – he brought that style and it worked. Uh, he was a little ahead of his time. So now you see a lot of tight ends that the ones that you see in the NFL in the slot standing up. And so I, I just thought he did a marvelous job of circling the wagons with the Hawk, Hawkeye fans. He, he seemed to have a unique way to rally the people. He, he was had a good line of bull. Uh, and, and believe me, he did because he knew how to sling it. He had that Texas 
bull. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so I just think he was just marvelous. And he had great coaches, guys. When you look at his staff. Oh, man. Oh, my goodness. I mean, yeah, you look yeah. at some of the guys, the young ones and the old ones. He had – that was one of his deal. He he knew how to bring a young coach along, and he knew how to hire a really good one. And if I could say one thing and give him great credit, I'd say the man he did made a marvelous job of keeping a great staff together. Yeah, that coaching tree from the Stoops brothers to Namakarni yeah. to Snyder to Pelini to just about Alvarez, everybody. Alvarez, Alvarez, absolutely, and, and yeah. Ference. yeah, yeah, and yeah, Ference. absolutely, and and Ferentz and, and uh, uh, boy, if there's, <laughs> well, I'll tell you a funny story. Barry Alvarez and I were we won the Lincoln uh, City Nebraska doubles handball. Uh, championship one year together when uh, Barry was graduating and he was a grad assistant the year I came to Nebraska. So we got into, we were playing racquetball at noon nearly every day. So we entered the Lincoln, the, the local city championship and damn, we didn't win it. <laughs> so the other, the other coach I want to ask you about uh, with ties, obviously at the bowl game with Washington state and Iowa state when they played, and I know that you didn't pick a side during that game, but uh, did you ever have a chance to to connect with Coach Leach? And do you have a story about Coach Mike Leach? You know, I didn't, and that's my fault. Uh, he was very receptive. If I the, I only went down one time to visit with him, and I didn't visit with him, and I I, I think that's a, a reflection to me. I I should have made the effort, but by that time I'm living in Coeur d'Alene when he came to Washington State. It's an hour and 50-minute drive for me to get down there. Uh, they, I don't know. One thing leads to another. You get set in your ways. And then you start thinking, oh, I don't need to be doing that. I, he doesn't have time for an old coach just to come down and shoot the bull. Well, everything I hear later tells me he, that's what he loved. <laughs> I mean, one thing Coach Leach liked to do was shoot the bull um, and, uh, and talk about anything. But, of course, he didn't like to talk about football, but I could – would have been love to have done it. So I, I think that's my fault. Uh, and then he goes to Mississippi State, which the irony of Mississippi State is, guys, that I lived in, I was born and raised in a little town called Aberdeen, Mississippi. Aberdeen, Mississippi is about no more than 30 minutes from Starkville. And Starkville, of course, is at Mississippi State. And so I thought it was kind of irony. I would have loved to then, if I had known he was going to go to Starkville, I almost would have flown down there just to visit <laughs> with him uh, about – one minute you're at Washington State, a school I love, and the next minute you're at Mississippi State, which is my greatest love because I grew up a Bulldog fan. And I, I'm sorry I missed that opportunity. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly seems like uh, it seemed like a guy that uh, was kind of cut from the same cloth, uh, you know, storyteller, um, uh, not afraid to cut a joke, uh, <laughs> have a lot of fun for sure. Uh, and he wasn't also afraid to have a beer. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yes. absolutely. Um, well, well, Coach, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break here. We're gonna grab a word from our our sponsor and Revelton Distilling Company. But when I get back, I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about a different coach uh, that you had a great re relationship with, uh, in Johnny Orr. So I want to I want to talk a little bit about that uh, after we get a word from Revelton Distilling Company. At Revelton Distilling Company, everyone has become a part of the Revelton family. From the Taylors and their daughter who helped perfect their award-winning gins, to the team who installed Lucy, 
our 33-foot-tall custom-made still, right down to the local farms that provide our coveted corn, and even the cows on those farms who consume our mash byproduct. Want to see the farm to flask come to life? Now you can tour Lucy and find out where we take Iowa's harvest and transform it into our finest spirits. Choose between a 45-minute tour or find out even more by scheduling a VIP behind-the-scenes tour to get the taste of the full Revelton experience. You can visit them at 1400 West Clay Street in Osceola, Iowa, or find all of Revelton's award-winning spirits at any local grocery or spirits retailer. And we are back. Uh, again, we want to thank Revelton Distilling Company. Please go ahead and check them out. Uh, Chris, do you want to tease what we might be having uh, coming up here with Revelton? Yep. So we are intentionally scheduling a, a live recording of all of our podcasts. We're going to do a kind of a hodgepodge of all of our podcasts uh, December 9th at noon at Revelton Distilling Company. So watch our social media. We're going to post some things about that, and uh, we would love to invite everybody out. So. Yeah, so please go and check us out. Once again, that's 1400 West Clay Street, Noceola, Iowa. Uh, come on out. Uh, Coach, uh, right before that break, I asked you uh, kind of tease there. I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Coach Orr. Obviously, uh, you guys were uh, two characters uh, at <laughs> Iowa State at the exact same time. And I think, uh, you know, certainly for, for folks like Chris and I, um, I, part of what brought the fans in so much uh were the two of you? Uh, what 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 was that like at that that time at Iowa State with with I mean, I, not that you weren't a personality, but boy, it's kind of hard to to out personal <laughs> out, out personality Johnny Orr. You don't even want to go there, man. <laughs> and so I'll back up what you're saying by saying this: when I got to Iowa State, Johnny Orr was already there, and 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 he was already Johnny Orr. Okay. Yep. So now we're going to go out the summer, the first summer I'm there, I came in January. So now it's time to go do the cyclone outings. Oh my goodness. 25 of them at least. And I tell Max, Yurik, I said, Max, I'm not speaking after him. <laughs> and he's like, well, football, you know, the routine is uh, maybe the, the department, some assistant AD will chat. Maybe one of the women's sports will talk. And then, and then the men's basketball to me, I says, no, we can change in that. I said, if you think I'm following Johnny Orr, you're crazy. I said, not, I said, maybe if I earn my keep, maybe five years from now, maybe, but not now. So we changed that around. I got up, did my two bits worth and they listened politely. And then they waited on Johnny and, uh, and really truly, you never knew what was coming out of his mouth. And, and <laughs> I even I have even cringed at times when I'm like, whoa, man, did he just say what I think he said? <laughs> but he was an absolute joy uh, to be around, to be a part of, to be in the same department with. His heart was wonderful. Uh, he had just a couple of really unbelievably good, consistent coaches that were very much like my guys, personable and enjoyed each other. And so it just blended. And I give you a funny story. We're coming back from an outing up at Fort Dodge one night, and I had a big van, and it was a like a 10-person van. And so we're all full. We got assistant ADs. We got Jimmy, uh, the wrestling coach, Jimmy. Uh, tell me what his name is. Um, uh, wrestling coach at Iowa State, Jim. Anyway, and he's a head coach, and he's there. I'll get it in a minute. I'm getting too old. I shouldn't. But 
I forget when I need something right quick, I can't remember. But (laughs) as I get around, so we got the wrestling coach, the basketball coach, me, two assistant ADs, and I don't know who else. So I'm rolling along pretty good there coming back from Fort Dodge down the highway, and all of a sudden the blue light flashes. Well, I look down, and sure enough, I'm doing about 75 and a 65. And so I pull over, and the highway patrolman comes up to the window. I roll it down. And just about the time he gets ready to say something or evidently recognize him. And I don't know this. And or says in that raspy voice, him coach, I thought, I'm glad you caught him. I thought we were going to get killed. (laughs) So I'm like, are you crazy? But he just told me, I'm like, I've been afraid since we left Fort Dodge. I thought was, and I'm like, or you crazy? Well, then it come to find out guys, the, Highway patrolman was the guy that always led the team in, you know, the buses that come around. And sure. or he had a lot to do with Johnny Orr. They knew each other really well. So he knew <laughs> he was playing a joke, but I didn't. So I'm thinking he's gonna get me about a thousand dollar fine for for that. But that was Johnny Orr. He just had a great personality. And and by the way, I have a sadness. Uh, I was just about to tell you, Bobby Knight passed away, and mm-hmm. they were really close. A lot of people don't know that. John Bobby Knight really loved Johnny Orr. I mean, I remember him. He came to a to a roast, a Johnny Orr roast, and I had a long visit with Bobby Knight and just asked him a few things about his years, and he was very open with me. and 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 his one of his final statements was one of my greatest friends in this business who I've enjoyed and respect as much as anybody I know was Johnny Orr. So uh, rest in peace, Bobby Knight. And uh, now he and Orr can do some talking. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm sure talking is what they're going to do. And it's going to be yeah. pretty blue. Um, by the Jim way, Coach. Jim Gibbons is, yeah. Yeah, yeah Jim, Jim Gibbons. Yeah, I was going to say the oh, I said thing. Jimmy Gibbons. Yep. I'm sorry. Yep. Tell Jimmy I apologize. I just couldn't. I mean, he, yeah, he was, he was, uh, he was all American in Iowa state before that, wasn't he? Yeah, and won the national championship assistant under, uh, coach Nick too, right? Harold Nichols. Yeah. 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 Well, um, he played for under Nichols, but Jimmy won his own national championship yeah. as coach. He was, yeah, absolutely. He yeah. 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 Some good fun years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, great coach. Fun to see. Uh, by the way, coach, that is the second uh, Johnny or uh, impression we've had on the podcast. John Walters. <laughs> John's right. not that good. John Walters. All I don't know. I, I think you gave John Walters a run, uh, uh, run for the money on that one. Uh, I thought that was pretty good. Uh, it definitely did kind of remind me of, of uh, boy, I, I never knew if that was, uh, coach, Coach Orr's speaking voice, or just because he was tired of yelling. No, it was him. All I ever heard was Wally. Wally. <laughs> he was he was he was never he was never short of words never short of, no. of volume by any means i, I uh, can't imagine that he the, the, the great poster that you guys reenacted of the the bartles and james wine coolers yeah we have to I talk about bartles I, and james I, I gotta ask surely coach Orr was probably not thrilled with having to do that was he no, he, he liked it because we told him the guys that promoted that in the building said, 
it was only a picture. We weren't trying to do that. I talk, you don't talk. Sure, thing. right. Yeah. It was just that we had both of us had to be play a role. And when we put our garb on, I looked more like the tall dude, uh, and he looked more like the other guy. It didn't matter because we were going to play that role. But no, there was never a moment when Johnny Orr was felt like he wasn't going to be able to say anything. Trust me. <laughs> uh, and so uh, it was. It was probably I would say. If you took a national poll of the, some of the greatest promotions ever done in college football or in athletic departments in general, I'd have to tell you that the Bartleson James thing at Iowa State over those years was probably one of the greatest promotions to promote athletics uh, using their people. It had to go down to one of the top two or three best I, ever. It, it, it literally was just brilliant. I think, I think some of our younger listeners may not be familiar with that ad campaign at the time, uh, but it was so spot on. I, I mean, you, you say coach that, Oh, I happen to look like, and Johnny happened to look like, but you guys really did fit exactly, you know, the look and the feel and the mold of, of that campaign. It worked out just so brilliantly. And I would do anything to have that poster. <laughs> well, I know one thing. We signed an awful lot of them. Uh, there was a, a ton of, uh, I mean, you go to those, after those things, every year the four of them came out. Um, I don't know if they did them in a four-year period, but all I remember seemed like every year when you go to an outing, you'd have to sit down at a table and uh, while everybody else was having some drinks and having a good time you had to sit i did we could still drink a little but have our couple of beers but you're sitting there signing go coogs you know or go cyclones in that case and and so it was uh it was quite a promotion but more than i signed a lot of those posters so i did when uh when you were doing that uh what did your players think about that that campaign Well, I think they just thought it was what it was. You know, it was just two guys that they uh, they knew we were just trying to promote uh, athletics. And uh, I'm sure behind the scenes, they thought we were a little goofy. But uh, <laughs> I never gave it much thought uh, that that they felt like there was it was beneath us or underneath us. And if they if they did, they weren't going to bring it up to me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, we I think they all took it in the vein of what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for, for you know, speaking for, for Chris and I, as as Iowa State fans, I think it, w- it was just a lot of fun because it was not just something that was kind of cute for the state of Iowa, but it was actually an opportunity to get some national eyes on, on Iowa State, too. At, you know, certainly at the time, you know, while being a Big 8 program, you weren't necessarily getting a lot of, of the national love, and, and that certainly brought a little bit more prominence to the program as well. Well, and then we did one. We did one like gamblers or something, and uh, they promoted that. We had oh, we're sitting on yeah. horses and all that, and uh, that was, I think, the last one where we did kind of a Jim and John uh, gambler. Uh, I think we sang some songs and yep, and Lord yep, help I us remember that one. I don't remember. I don't remember the songs going to the number one spot. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, we'll, we'll have to. Do you remember that ad? We'll, we'll have to. I'm, I've got it right here, actually. Okay. I'm pulling it up right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's right. I, I, no. Google is a wonderful thing, Coach. I'm just going to say. It. No, it's not. It's, it's not either. There's some things. I wish. It's great. <laughs> 
That's, uh, yeah, you can bet a good I have time. grandkids now. I don't want them hearing some of this stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, Coach, I got to ask you, um, you know, one of the most famous players here at Iowa State, and, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, great players like Brees Hall and David Montgomery, the, the guy that start, you know, Blaze Bryant, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Troy Davis and not a lot of people probably realize you're the reason he came to Iowa state. Well, he is, I had a, a Arnie Romero was a defensive coach and anyway, I moved him over the tight ends, but he was the Miami a contact and he knew all he had coached in Miami high school for so many years. Arnie and I coached together at the university of Miami. Uh, but he was, a, his, his big deal was he was a full fledged fireman. And so how did he get away with coaching? Because he would be 24 on and 24 off. And then during the season, he would bank his hours with other firemen. So he might could get off four days in a row before he'd have to take a turn. And that's how he did it. And so when he came to Iowa State, he had retired. But when he, he told me there was a great little running back down in the south part of the city and, uh, you know, and then so we all looked it up, and my goodness, he, I mean, here's a guy, a little kid that's rushing for a million years yards, and I'm like, we got no chance to get that guy. But uh, one thing led to another, and by golly, uh, he brought him out. Uh, we had to be very careful with him, and I remember one of the media guys at the Des Moines Register got really upset with us because we didn't allow him to be in the uh, on on media day. We kept him out because he had a he'd get really flustered and stutter. Mm-hmm. And a lot of folks didn't know that. And there was no way we were going to allow him because when we signed him, it was the big news. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're getting oh, yeah. Davis, man, Tony Davis. Yeah, la, yeah, yeah. Well, I knew that everybody TV wise, everybody was going to just fluster to get him. And I said, well, we can't do that. He, he, his whole image will be. One of that he's dumb, not that because he could get to where he couldn't speak. And we just did not want to do that. So I caught a lot of flack, if you'll know the truth, from the media for not having him be there uh, on media day his first year. Then we left after that. And I left a note to Dan McCarney about, uh, you know, be careful. Tony's got to be protected a little bit. And of course, that next year, And and the other remarkable thing was he was so homesick, guys, that um, he didn't practice two a days. I mean, he was going home every day. Mm -hmm. His folks wouldn't let him go home. They told him they wouldn't pay for it. So they sent his parents, not because they didn't want to do it, because they knew it would be prejudice. They sent her, his parents sent, uh, it was her, his mother's brother and wife flew out to Ames, Iowa, and spent about 10 days. They came to the meetings. They went to practice. They saw everything that was going on. And by that time, we're getting ready by the, about the first ball game. And we've been in school now probably two weeks. Um, and they, he hadn't been to a class because all he could do was just want to go home. He was just that sick. He was out of his element, he felt. So anyway, the the brother the, – his his uncle and aunt came into my office and sat down and said, we could not be happier with what's going on here. And we are not going to recommend 
that to Tony that he go home. And we're going to tell him that, that he needs to come in here, sit down with you, find out what he's got to do to get this thing back in order and get his button gear. And so we did everything humanly possible academically because by the time this was over, he's been three weeks. And man, you missed three weeks of school as an athlete. You got some scurrying to do. I mean, so he only played limited amount of time for us because we, uh, we'd have him in, I think he missed, he, he went to more study halls than he did practices for us, but I knew he was quality because we played him at, at Colorado, one of the last games of the season. Holy cow, he rushed for 100 yards, and it wasn't even hard. I mean, it was like, are you kidding me? Well, where's <laughs> yeah. this guy been all my life? I, and, I remember I remember being upset, Coach, that I saw that, and I thought, why didn't we play him all year? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said the same thing. I, I said the same thing to the running back coach. What the hell's going on with you? But uh, he just had missed so much time, we just couldn't. And it yeah. wasn't fair to the rest of the players to have him show up twice, a, you know, two sure. days a week yeah. and then play. So we had to juggle all that, but well, it well, turned out beautifully. Well, Chris hadn't been to, to class for three weeks either. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> Troy and I, yet another thing Troy Davis and I had in common. We didn't go to class. <laughs> yeah. It well, worked out a little better for him. <laughs> well, yeah. and Dan used him wonderfully and then got the little got his younger brother too. So that was a good deal for him. Yeah. 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 Dar yeah. Darren, Darren did great yeah, as well. Darren. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I'd say, Coach, we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Uh, we do have a, a special question that we ask all of our guests, okay. uh, that is brought to our friend, Car uh, brought to us by our friend, Carl Lehman at Wintrust Mortgage. Chris, do you want to go and set up this question? Yep. So I'm actually going to switch it up because this is a question that I've been wanting to ask coach. Um, and I'll, I'll ask you the question, coach, I'll play the, the, uh, the commercial and that'll give you time to think about it. Um, after you, uh, were done coaching you hooked up on a little show with, with Jim, Jim Zobel. So yeah. I would love to hear uh, about your relationship with Jim Zobel and, and, and just think of one really great story about, uh, Z about Zobel. And when we come back from this break, you can give us your answer. Okay. Okay. All right. Are you in the market for a new house and unsure of the mortgage process? Want to know that you have someone looking out for you? Kyle Lehman from Wintrust Mortgage is a down-to-earth, knowledgeable lender who can be there for you in your corner. He can work with you in any of the 50 states and is just what you need to expand your home search. Kyle will work with you through the entire process with little to no work from you. Take the worry of the mortgage process out of the equation so that you can focus on looking for your dream home. Contact Kyle at www.wintrust.com forward slash Kyle dash Lehman or call him at 515-473-0546. All right, and we're back. So uh, before the uh, before the little break there from Kyle, thank you very much. Uh, Coach, your best Jim Zobel story. Well, it's pretty, it's, you will appreciate it much because you're Cyclones. Um, when I first got on there, you know, Jim knows everybody. He's been there 53 years as the voice of. Uh, I'm just a coach that just got fired, and I'm just hanging around Ames trying to not to not make anybody mad and just enjoying life as we did. And and so, uh, so now I'm doing this radio show with him. So about the first three Sundays, um, we'd have a – we tried to always have a cyclone guest or maybe someone that was pertinent to a cyclone game, as you will remember, and a, and a, and a, a Hawkeye game. Well, it became real obvious to me 
when we would have a play-by-play person from Kansas on talking about the Kansas-Iowa State game, we would ask – I would be shooting the ball with him. Jimmy would ask a question, and then without without any warning, here he'd say, oh, we really appreciate it, Coach. And uh, and I've got, wait a minute, we still got six minutes. <laughs> was, then when you flip it over the other way, so now we got a coach on from Michigan State, and they're getting ready to play Iowa. And it's question after question. <laughs> and, and at the end, it's like, oh, well, it looks like our time's run out. Well, I guess we, we – well, I've got time for one more. And so about the third or fourth week after that happened, after the show was over, I said, Zabo, I said, we're going to have to have an understanding here pretty quick. And he said, what's that? I love the guy, and he was a fun guy, and, it, and it, I got my point across. I said, if you think I'm going to share a microphone with you for the next however many years and have you spend three minutes with Cyclone people and 20 with Hawks, you're crazy as hell. (laughs) You got that funny look, and I says, we're going to set a time, and when we have this guest on, he's going to be here for 12 minutes. And when we have that guy from Wisconsin, he's going to be here for 12 minutes. And I says, do we understand one another? And he said, yeah, I appreciate that. He says, Coach, I can see what uh, – I just kind of get carried away. I said, yeah, you can carry away, but I'm going to make your prayer you back. And so we really didn't have a problem after that. And, gosh, we did it for 17 years, so we worked it out. But Jim Jim did not make any bit difference about when he could – it didn't bother him to leave a cyclone uh, announcer to go <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's funny. Like you talk about coaches from different schools. Yeah, you look at well, shoot, look at Iowa. Mm-hmm. The past how many years? It's been two coaches since since what nineteen eighty one or whatever. Like it's it, that's. Yeah, and I tell you something. I got uh, you hit a wrong. You hit a bad nerve with me. I know we haven't <laughs> got much more time. But no, no, no let's, all the time you need. Let's it, let's it, let's hear it, Coach. I love it. I let want me to tell you something. When you got a football coach that's got that's won 192 games in 20 something years, and he's only lost 117, you don't tell him who you don't as an assistant AD does not fire his son or his offensive coordinator. You want to tell me that that you think you know what he's doing? You have no idea whether Kurt Ferentz believes in defense, whether he makes every decision based on what he thinks is best for the team through defense, and all of a sudden you're going to fire his offensive coordinator. Oh, oh, it just happens to be his son because he didn't score 25 points this year. Right now they're they're 6-2, and two and everybody in the world knows they ought to be 7-1 seven, uh, seven and one because that stupid punt return thing the other day, that bad call. So here you got a coach at 7-1, his offensive coordinator is his son, you're seven and one, and there's a great chance he's probably not going to lose another game. So, you want to tell me an assistant AD is going to fire Kirk Ferentz's son, who's an offensive coordinator, because they're not winning because he didn't score 25 points a game? Shut up! I mean, it is, <laughs> it's off the charts to me. Of just either if the fans put up with that, they ought to have their butts kicked. And I, I, I have more respect for Hawkeye fans than that. And for me to see that, and, and I don't know how Kirk does, but I don't know how he does it. But I know how Jim Walden would have done it. I would. They could have shoved that some places. You know? <laughs> uh, but, but I just think, and you get back to the two. I mean, just think about those two coaches that they've had over there. My goodness, they probably between the two of them 
won 300 games between the two of them. That's off the charts at a school in a state that does not have thousands of athletes every year. I mean, it, literally, Iowa set the record for consecutive seasons without a winning season before uh, Hayden got there. And to only, first of all, to only have two coaches in that period of time is unheard of. I can't think of another single program in the entire country that has had two coaches in the last 40 years. Like, it's just... No. Un- well, the two closest would be Bob Devaney and Tom Osborne, as far as probably locals, you know, as far as that. I don't know. You'd have to get into the Michigan thing between Bo and... Uh, what's his name, but uh, yeah. But all I know is that they don't take a back seat between the two coaches been in Iowa for, my goodness, for what, 40 years? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you talk yeah. about Bob Devaney and Tom Osborne, that's been forever. Like, you, you don't you don't have that anymore at all. No. They, they don't, coaches have a lot shorter leash. Um, well, you certainly, when you've had one there that's won 192 football games, and he's only lost 117. That's about 75 games, best I remember, to the good. 75 games over 500. And you're telling him who his offensive coordinator is and who his offensive line coach is? Oh, and it just happened to be his son. Now, when did that happen? When did we start allowing that to happen? So it's just, to me, one of the blights on college football of today. And I'm sorry. I love my Hawkeye fans friends that I have. I don't like all their fans that much, but I do like some of my Hawkeye friends. But but if, to me, for them to tolerate that is awful. This, I was going to say, this has been another installment of where we actually defend the Hawkeyes on this That's podcast. Right. <laughs> I know. Just your heart, man. I once had a conversation about P.J. Fleck and you've seen Tim he almost put on an Iowa shirt. He hates PJ Fleck so much. <laughs> I, I I have a lot of issues with PJ Fleck up here in Minnesota. I'm up here in Minnesota, coach, and, and uh, that's all right. I've I've got uh, I've got my issues with with that gentleman, with and, Mr. And, Fleck. Well, he gets and, dressed nice for games. And what he do, he does <laughs> get dressed. Coaches left and doesn't wear a t-shirt. So I give him that. That is true. He he dresses very nice, and then he puts his own brand all over his uniform and says it's all about team and not individuals. You know, you you don't get a rowboat a boat rower every day. Well, I you know nothing screams boat like gopher. Um, (laughs) But uh, no, no, I I think uh, I think that's funny. I, you know, we didn't even have to have an STFU moment, and and we just had one by Coach Walden. So that yeah, was, that was perfect. I that I thought perfect. that was great. That 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 made me uh, that made me ridiculously happy. As much as as much as it pains me, I yeah, you know, I I, I I'm not gonna say as much to call Hawkeye fans my uh, my friends, but I, I will say, <laughs> um, I I do I do appreciate that they've got their eye and on a, on a few different things. So. Uh, that is that is definitely some some insight that uh, we appreciate having. Um, you know, uh, coaching is is well, it's a different game than it was in 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 late eighties, early nineties. It's just a completely different game. Yeah, in some ways, some ways it's not. It's still player and coach relationships. <laughs> um, the amount of people in the in the building anymore is totally different, guys. I mean. Mm-hmm. You've got staffs that are so large now with with electronics and all the stuff that they're going and recruiting. I understand that. I, I don't think I would have liked it. Um, I kind of liked having eight or nine guys in a room um, pulling hard together without having 
so much other distractions and things. The NIL is driving most coaches I know crazy. They won't admit it, but it is. <laughs> How to handle that. The portal thing uh, has got to get under control. How many times can you jump from jump to jump? So there's a lot of things out there right now, guys, that's hurting and creating real problems um, with college athletics. And I don't even want to get into what just happened to the Pac-12 conference because that's that's deplorable. And yeah. um, and what it's going to cause and where we're headed from that. But uh, it, well, and it's look how strong and we'll see. Look how strong that conference is with the teams and with Washington, how good they are in Oregon and USC. Even, even the two teams that don't have a home right now, Washington State and and Oregon State were ranked at one point this year. It's it it is a yeah. travesty. And and the Big Twelve came out with their uh, conference realignment um, schedule the next few years. And in 2027, for the first time in almost 125 years, Iowa State and Kansas State will not play. Well, that now you see what's happened out here. We'll never play ever again. At least at least there's a chance Kansas State and Iowa State will resume two years from now. Right. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at Washington State and Stanford, they play this week. That's done. And when you look at the Pac-12 conference, take the two in the bay. Every time someone at the four teams on each at the tops, we call it, when they play either one of those, that's the last time, for, maybe forever. Every yeah. time somebody in those same areas plays Washington State, Oregon State, it's forever. So all those hundred-year games uh, in one league. Uh, the tragedy of college football to me is traditions have been the background of, of everything that's ever been sacred about college athletics. And we are getting farther and further away, just like the Oklahoma, Nebraska. I, I still say who's Nebraska play now compared to when the old Oklahoma game never, what? they've never overcome. Right. The, the, the so Nebraska, Oklahoma game, the Nebraska, Colorado game, even exactly. losing that one. And then exactly. you had this this whole Nebraska Iowa contrived rivalry. Neither yeah. Iowa fans or Nebraska fans really give a crap about that game. They call it the Heroes Trophy, whatever. They've got like a astronaut hugging a firefighter or something. I have no idea what the hell that is. It's like it's the most contrived, silly rivalry. No one cares. And so no. you've lost all of that. But here's what I say: like in this land of mega conferences. I say we just go to one big mega conference and then we have all these divisions and each division is like eight teams and you play each of the teams in your division and it essentially just goes right back to conferences. Like that's, that's what I'd like to see. Well, they they were that close. They only needed two more schools out of this conference to throw them into four and then say, okay, let's just do a four man. Let's do like a four man rotation and build it from there. And now you got four conferences. You got them scattered out, so you took the same number of schools, put them in four instead of five. Now let's go to the national championship and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I I really – the thing I loved about the Big Eight so much, right, you played everyone once in football, everyone twice in basketball. You got everyone in. You, you didn't have any of this. We, we don't really know who's the real champion because they haven't really played. I mean, like the Big Ten, like the whole – Big Ten West and and how weak that that side of or whatever they're calling it now it, it like how weak that is and that schedule where you get to play Purdue and and Illinois and Indiana every year and 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 you know Minnesota can lose to mm. uh, your mom and still somehow become a, a division champion like I don't I don't like all of that type of thing 
particularly when when there's not parity between the two. If you're going to put Michigan and Ohio State on one side and Illinois and Purdue on the other side, there's not parity in that conference. Let's just be honest about that. Something wrong with that picture. Yeah, exactly. But but I I do I like I miss miss the the idea. I mean, I don't I don't miss the slog that the old Big Eight was back in the day. But I do kind of miss some of that. And so it would be fun if we go to these mega conferences to kind of get back to. Well, before I go, I know you're getting ready to get off and I probably I'm getting hungry. But uh, <laughs> uh, the same thing that nobody's realized is that as the Pac-12 has gone away and we're talking about 100 year traditions, keep mm-hmm. in mind, Texas and Oklahoma leave it. And so think about how many games you've played and you've seen. You were talking about the Big Eight, uh, Tim. Just think about how many games has been played between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, Kansas, and 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 I warned them as they jump into the SEC. The last two teams to do that was Texas A&M, mighty Texas A&M, and Missouri. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if anybody's heard from them since, right? Uh, yeah. Because when Texas A&M was in the Big Eight or the Big Twelve, I should say, yep, they were a big factor. And it's not that so much as when those two teams leave the Big 12, they leave the remnants of the old Big 8 not to be played again. So there's all that going on. No more Texas Tech, Oklahoma. No more Texas Tech, Texas. And so it's just a shame that you're seeing all this get flushed down the drain for about $5 million more per year. Yep. Anyway, it's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Chris, I'll, I'll go and let you wrap this one up then. Yeah, I, Coach, I, I just, again, can't tell you how much I appreciate you answering my phone call uh, and you allowing me to text you and, and bring you on. Uh, like I told you before, uh, this was a bucket list thing for me. I've always looked up to you. Uh, I've always thought you were an honorable uh, an honorable guy and a hell of a football coach. Uh, and I'll just say it. I think you got a raw deal when you got there. And, and uh, I would have loved to have seen what you could have had with the facilities and things that we have now. So, uh, from the bottom of my heart, I want to thank you so much for letting me uh, talk to you tonight. Well, that's my, my pleasure. Uh, when you get my age, it's happy to anybody still remember <laughs> who we are. So, well, I we thank call you it both. old man strength for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll do it again sometime, but I do appreciate it, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, coach. Yeah, coach. I, I, I want to echo what, what Chris said. I, uh, you know, I, I, I told my, my, I'm an Iowa state fan. I grew, I grew up a half hour from Iowa city, but I'm an Iowa state fan. Cause my folks went to Iowa state. And so I, uh, you know, they, my dad got to experience all of the, the, the Johnny majors, Earl Bruce era and, and, and brought me along for the ride. Uh, so I, I, he was very excited to hear that I was going to get a, get a chance to talk to you tonight. And, and like I said, uh, to me, it's, it's, what defines Iowa state football for me, really it's the foundation that was there. So uh, very grateful. You took the time to, to chat with us. We would love to have you back on. Um, I'm, I'm, I just wish that you had more hot takes and would have been a little bit more open. <laughs> All right, guys. Have a good evening. See you later. Yeah. Th- thank you. Coach. Thank you. Thanks coach. You betcha. Man, that was uh, super great, dude, dude. So I I just can't can't thank him enough. And and I want to give a shout out to Keith Schrage for setting that up. Uh, Keith uh, and I interact on Twitter and uh, I I mentioned to him briefly. I said, man, I would love to 
because he has talked about uh you know the the terrible hand that that, that he got oh. from coach Kreiner and right. we're gonna have Keith on in a couple weeks to kind of give us the, the the inside story of that um but he uh I jokingly said as a man I would I would love to be able to 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 interview uh coach Walden and and Keith's like well I talk to him every week on the phone why don't I just call him and I was like uh okay so I I uh I, mm. Boy, uh, he is as lively and as I mean, he is exactly everything I remember. Um, yep. uh, it's amazing to see uh, these years later how much he he still cares and and how passionate. Uh, obviously, how passionate he is. I, right. I didn't yes. I didn't realize we were going to get uh, get that moment. That was fantastic. But I was um, not. I was not quite prepared for the Hawkeye <laughs> defense going on. So that was awesome. So, uh, no, uh, God no, oh, no, I'm, I, uh, I, I mentioned before we started that I was starstruck ahead of time. Um, you know, we've had a number of guests on uh, this podcast over the years that I, I should be, you know, rightfully in awe of, but uh, that one, I mean, you talk about legends uh, for me anyway, right? Like some right. of my my earliest memories, some of my, my most important memories. You talk about that that win in Oklahoma. Uh, you talk about uh, some of the amazing players that that have come through, right? I, it, we talked to Blaze, and that was so much fun to talk yeah. to Blaze. But we don't talk to Blaze if you there is no Blaze without Jim. So, right. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, I didn't even get a chance to talk to him about Pete Taylor because uh, that era. And and uh, but there was so much that we could have talked to him about that's that's what was amazing um and i was telling him a story uh before air um somebody had reached out to me on twitter and i can't find the tweet right now that said his his one memory his his best memory of coach walden was um him and his dad and a few other guys were sitting at a feed store in this random town in iowa and jim had pulled in and got some coffee and he sat down and talked to those guys for like an hour and he said it was just he was just like a regular guy coming in and sitting down and having a conversation with him and he said he always remembered that so and and how personal he was so um oh he, he, didn't, he didn't come in chopping gum and people ask how his day was he said elite <laughs> and then walk away let, let it go tim <laughs> no it, it, it seriously i that guy is is about as personal as you can get so um uh our, our huge thanks to to coach walden uh it'd be fun to get a chance to talk to him again uh folks we all appreciate you coming on uh denny joel keith the guys that, that hopped on brian thank you very much for for joining us on this live stream as well everyone else uh listening live or listening on the podcast we very much appreciate it uh we really hope you enjoy this conversation half as much as as chris and i did because we're both getty little school girls right now that's right Absolutely. I thought I hit I thought I hit the jackpot last week when I got to sit on the back end and just listen to Keith Sims tell stories. And then I got to actually talk to Coach Walden. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, no, that was fantastic. It's been a cool week. So. Um, so yeah, absolutely. So I Chris, I'll give you a chance here really quick to kind of talk about everything else we have going on at Three Birds Media, a couple changes, a couple new things coming on. Man. Um uh give us a little download. Yeah, so we got uh we got a, a slew of podcasts coming out. Uh Stacy actually asked me, she's like, how many you got this week? Well, we got four episodes coming out this week, <laughs> five next week. Uh, we're going to do a, a an on-location uh, 
little podcast at Bill's brand new bar for false starts. We're going to nice. break in his bar next Tuesday. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to do our um, our live event at, at Rebelton. And then I want to give a shout out. Three blind refs, Sam, uh, Jim, and Ben. Uh, their inaugural first episode last week has done some amazing numbers. And they killed it. And that's going to be a really fun pod to listen to uh, with, um, with those guys. Uh, Hot Mess Happy Hours got an episode coming out. And uh, Dave Larson, uh, the new host of Side of the Storm, has done a wonderful job. So, uh, and then Hawks Eye View and Ball Don't Lie. We're we're just killing it with the content creators we have here. Uh, we couldn't do it without those guys, and then our amazing sponsors. So, it, it's been uh, a wonderful ride. I'm, I'm super excited with where we're going to go, and 2024 is going to be even better. Yeah, we're very excited for everything that we have, listeners. Thank you very much for making Three Beers Media what it is. With that, I will say thank you very much for listening to Old Man Strength, in case you passed out there and forgot what you were listening to there for a second. A podcast of Three Beards Media, brought to you by Relton Distilling Company and Wintrust Mortgage. Once again, I am Tim Johnson with Chris Shipley, and we will see you guys next time. Uh-oh.